0: Amen. All right, well, let me just encourage you to stay standing for the reading of God's word today as we approach um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, reading down to verse 13. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. You can be seated. Good morning. Great to see you guys this morning, this fine Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. There's Bibles on either side of the room if you need them. If you're at home, welcome. We're so glad to have you joining in. Maybe you have a sick kid in the house, or you're not feeling great, or you're somewhere else besides Sacramento area. We'd invite you to grab your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Doxa Church. And I just want to extend a warm welcome from me to you. I usually hang out in the lobby after the service, kind of on the windows. Would love to see you and meet you. If you're new and you're wanting to see me, I'm wanting to see you, okay? So I would love to get to do that. And uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a quainter gathering, uh, let me just remind you that tonight is Second Sunday, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying to be more excited about Second Sunday. Can you tell? Second Sunday is our prayer night. It happens every second Sunday uh, so that it doesn't get confusing. And today is the second Sunday of December. So at 5 o'clock right back in here, we are going to be praying our hearts out. And here's what we're praying for. We're praying for what you guys are already praying about. I'm praying for all your prayer requests every single week. And what's coming in in this season is we have relationships with family members, and some of them are rough. So we're praying for prayers of reconciliation tonight. We're going to be praying for gospel opportunities. We're going to be praying for humble hearts. We're going to be praying for open conversations. We're going to be praying for the softening of hearts of your family members and ways and opportunities for you to somehow shine as a light for Jesus in the midst of this holiday season. And maybe some of you, we're just going to pray for joy. God help us. This should be a season of joy, but you got some people coming over that are going to try to zap that. Am I right? And so I'm praying for you and we're going to pray together and we're going to do it at five o'clock. Listen, you could pray on your own, but there's something about gathering as God's people. You could sing on your own in the car. It's not the same as singing together with God's people. We should do both. Sing your heart out in the car. Pray your heart out in the car or wherever else it is you pray. But come and pray together tonight with God's people. Amen? Come Let's move from excitement to commitment. That would be awesome. We'll see what the Lord does. All right. That being said, title of the message this morning. Oh my goodness, I don't have a time clock, which could be this. That could be dangerous. Oh, Everyone's wondering, like, uh, is the band coming up to kick Scott out? First of all, I will just keep preaching. It doesn't really matter when the band comes up. I I will go until it's finished, like Jesus. <laughs> just like Jesus. title of the message the qualifications of a deacon okay the qualifications of a deacon you gotta got picture this with me in order to understand this whole office of deacon so the church explodes onto the scene in the book of acts correct and within like a chapter They've got thousands of people that have surrendered their lives and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation from sin, right? And you've got this group of apostles that are representing those who are to teach and those who are to care for in the instruction side of the ministry of this large group of people that had given their lives to Jesus. They are supposed to congregate together, just to meet and teach. And so you have this dilemma that you inevitably start seeing in the very early chapters of the book of Acts where something was eventually going to give this small group of teachers... Committed to the proclamation of the word, but also committed to the many, many needs represented by all the people that had given their lives to Jesus. And so some shoe was going to fall off at some point, point. and the question was, which one was it going to be? Would it be the ministry of the word getting compromised in order to prioritize the serving of the people? Or would the ministry of the word be held up and the ministry to the people be somewhat compromised? Because listen... The apostles were human. They had to go to bed at night. And so what ends up happening is actually neither one of those things takes place, but rather what happens? The apostles appoint servants through which they can divide up the work and complement their ministry without compromising it. Do you remember this? This is Acts chapter 6. Let me read it for you. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this isn't this holier-than-thou thing, like how dare you think we would ever actually serve tables when we're preaching the word of God. It's not that at all. They saw simply the priority on the preaching of the word, and it takes time to preach and prepare God's word. And they're going, we can't compromise that. I know there's a lot of wheels that need some grease, if you will. There's a lot of people that need ministry, but we cannot, by conviction, compromise the attention to the detail on the word of God. Do you see that heart? So he continues. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What was the duty? Well, evidently, there was a, Distribution problem with the widows in the early church, and the distribution of food was given prior, a priority to the the Hebrew widows and not to the Greek widows, and they needed people to oversee so that all the widows were taken care of. And so the apostles appoint these men full of the spirit and of wisdom, and they say, "But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." Now, the reason I bring that up is because this is a proto-pattern, like a pattern before there is that pattern established in the church that mirrors what we're going to see established in the church, what we're going to see in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. There are loved ones, two offices in the church, two formal offices. Last week, we dealt with the first one, which is the office of elder... Responsible for the pastoral responsibilities in the church and primarily the teaching of God's word, right? And now we're going to get into the second office that complements elders, the office of deacon, okay? If elders are responsible for the pastoral realities of the church and the preaching of God's word, deacons are responsible for the practical elements, serving and caring for people in need and struggling and here's the awesome thing, guys. When each of these offices is humming along in their lanes, the church is ordered well to best display the gospel of Jesus Christ in both word and deed. You see how this works? See, the apostles didn't want to compromise the word, but they also didn't want to give up on people. They knew they couldn't do it all, and they needed to prioritize the word, and so what did they do? They raised up this group of people that acts as the proto-pattern for us. And so we're gonna break this down, and we're gonna look at what deacons, how they're selected, how they should be qualified, because just like last week, while all Christians should be serving one another, and we should be serving one another, Amen? All of us should be serving one another, but the office of deacon isn't to be occupied by just anyone. Which evidently, almost for sure, was the problem in the Ephesian church. It was occupied by unqualified individuals who were thrust into a leadership position. By the way, you want to see one of Satan's best strategies to screw a church up? Put unqualified individuals into the two major offices of the church. That will mess up a church. And so likely that's what's going on. And Paul's like, hang on a second. Before you make everyone in the church a deacon or you isolate deacons to some board, we need to talk about what a deacon is and how specifically they are to be qualified. You don't sleep on deacons, y'all. I know we all think elders need to be qualified. Listen, so do deacons. And so that leads us to our big idea this morning. Here's the big idea. God wants his church properly ordered he does doesn't he with the office of deacon occupied by qualified individuals perhaps that's you then you're going to need to listen in we're all going to need to listen in because in some sense the office of deacon and the qualifications there are the qualifications of a mature christian so in some sense we all need to be pursuing these qualifications God wants his church properly ordered with the office of deacon occupied by qualified individuals. And so we're just going to walk down the text and you're going to see what these qualifications are. You're going to see how this is supposed to work so that ideally we have a humming office of deaconship in our church, okay? So here's the first thing we see in the text. Just like the elders, deacons must have consistent character, okay? Deacons must have consistent character, so we get to verse eight. and Paul writes, and he says deacons, likewise. I'll give you a little background on deacons. The word deacons means servant means minister. It's from the Greek word diakonos. So what you have in The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, is a transliteration, not a translation, of the Greek word. Do you know the difference between a transliteration versus a translation? Diakonos, deacon. Okay, that's a transliteration versus diakonos, servant. That's a translation. Do you see the difference? Transliteration is taking the word in a different language and bringing it over essentially the way it would sound. In the original language to form and here's probably why the um, translators did it they it stood out to them that the word diakonos here is being used in a distinctly different way than in almost every other part of the new testament in almost every other part of the new testament the word diakonos simply means servant or minister but in this case it looks like it's being used in a special way i.e. the office of and so to, perver- to preserve uh, that reality in the text, they just transliterated the word for us and made it deacon. And so what we know about this word, as you look into it, is that deacons were essentially in the most original form, they were table waiters. How many had a really bad waiter at a table at a restaurant before? It can ruin dinner, can't it? Like, it can be really, really bad. You're like, Diet Coke, they bring Sprite. You're like, seriously? Are you texting with your boyfriend in the back? Or like, what is this, you know? You, you ask for medium rare, which is the only appropriate way to grill your steak and no sauce on good meat, unless you're at a bad restaurant, right? And they bring you something with sauce and like, what is this? Like, <laughs> drop it on the ground and it makes a sound, you know? That's a problem, Right? But at the same time, we all know what it's like to have a really good waiter. You ever had an experience at a, a restaurant where it's like, hey, I don't even know what to get. Do you like something here? A good waiter is going to be like, hey, let me, just, let me just lead you. You just sit down. Let me just help you. I'm going to anticipate what you need. I'm going to come alongside you in this process, and I'm going to guide you to an awesome time. This word deacon originally was table waiter, but it actually, over time, came to be used a bit broadly, more broadly, to uh, signify any service that supplies the needs of another person. So by the time we get to the New Testament, here's what we understand deacons to be. Deacons are ministers of mercy, okay? They are ministers of mercy. They are in the people-serving ministry involved in, God bless you, involved in caring for the poor, caring for the needy, caring for the suffering, administrators of the churches resources to bless and care for others. This is how the word is to be used. When we come to this particular setting, in the context of 1 Timothy chapter 3, they're noting the fact that he's clearly discussing an office in the church, not just the general idea of serving, but an office that is to be subordinate to the office of elder, namely the office of Deacon, And I will say, um, from our church's perspective, being a church from scratch, from ground up eight years ago, by God's grace, we have people serving as deacons, but I would love to see our deacon ministry expand significantly, and it is very much on our agenda for 2022. So what a perfect time to look at this text and be able to say, how are we measuring up to the qualifications and responsibilities of a deacon? And so he gets started for us. Then he says, deacons likewise, and we're glad that word's there because essentially what it's saying is, hey, just as there were qualifications for the office of an elder, don't sleep on those deacons, man. Don't just think deacon means somebody that can push a broom. These are godly individuals, and they too must have character that corresponds to the office, and he gives five here. He says, first, deacons likewise must be dignified. Okay? It means worthy of respect. I think you see this in the original picture in Acts chapter 6, that proto-picture of who are they identifying? Men full of the Spirit and of wisdom. You want people whose moral and spiritual character is esteemed by others. They have a reputation of a life that's worth following. Now, can you see why that would be important In the role of a deacon, to have a godly character and reputation that precedes yourself, perhaps it's precisely because it takes the most dignified individuals to distribute care and resources appropriately and wisely to people in need. Some of the most complicated situations in the church deal with those um, needs that people have, and how is the church supposed to come alongside and meet that? We need the people of highest dignity, of most worthy of respect to be able to navigate that with wisdom and tact. And then he goes in and says, you know what, while that's the kind of significant primary characteristic, there are several ways that a person's respectability can be destroyed. You're going to need to watch out for these, and he names a few knots. So deacons, likewise, must be dignified. They must be worthy of respect. Here's how you can lose that respectability. First one, not double-tongued. Okay which obviously we know doesn't literally mean you have two tongues. You must be dual-tongued. This is um, you say something and you mean it, and you mean what you say. This is your yes is yes and your no is no. This is um, when you say something to one person, you're saying the same thing to another group of people over here. This is when you say that you're going to do something, you actually follow through with it over here. This is important because in the realm of caring for people's needs when they're in desperate situations, if you're one that's uh, inclined by your heartstrings being pulled to overpromise, can you see how that might not go very well? We're going to promise you this and this and this and you're like talking to other people, oops, my heartstrings came out, I just I think I I think I mortgaged the church. (laughs) Okay, tiger. right? So not being double-tongued is essential. The positive side is what this means is your speech is sincere. You're not manipulative in your speech. You're not deceptive in your speech. You are full of integrity in your words. And when you make a promise, you keep a promise. That's a way to lose your respectability by being double-tongued. Here's another way to lose your respectability by not by being addicted to much wine. You're going to gain it by not. You're going to lose it by being addicted to much wine. In fact, one of the pictures that I saw in the Bible this week that was interesting, and, and I think I've kind of overlooked this, but it's Proverbs 31, 4, and 5, where it talks about the king is not supposed to stay around very closely to wine and strong drink precisely because he could forget what he's promised to do and or lose sight of his responsibilities into which person when you're getting drunk you're probably throwing out all kinds of promises or people can manipulate you later and say hey remember that time when you said at that function where we were i mean communion was good that night you promised me some things and then you can't remember what went down. This is part of the issue. They forget what they say, and they, according to Psalm or Proverbs 31.5, they pervert the rights of the afflicted in their being given over to alcohol in excess. Not addicted to much wine. It's not a prohibition, but it's simply saying you have that under control, and you are above reproach in your alcohol use. And then here's the third thing that can destroy a person's respectability being greedy for dishonest gain. Now, hopefully this one's pretty straightforward. You're responsible to care for people and distribute the church's resources. You can't be greedy for gain. Unclear? Like, this obviously makes sense. And what's so sad about this is this happens way too frequently in the church, doesn't it? You get the guy counting money. He's the embezzler guy. You got the person collecting funds and they're like doing deals on the side. Hey, listen, if you get me that job at your place, I'll, you know, I'll take care of you. I'll send some stuff your way. Like there's all kinds of stories and ways this can get worked out. And, and, and I want us to understand something. Like this isn't just, um, oh yeah, shady people for sure do that. Okay, the Pharisees did it. So there are Pharisees lingering in churches all over the place right? The super, super, uber self-righteous, they, they come, all dialed in, they got, you know, and, and they're, they're, they're fleecing the flock. Do you remember when Jesus called out Judas? But he didn't call him out by name. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And do you remember what the disciples all did? They all looked at themselves first. They weren't picking up on shadiness. This is the point I'm trying to get to you. Like, this shadiness is a temptation that dwells in the best of us. If we're not careful, we can pull that Pharisee card, and they were devouring widows' houses, it says in Mark 12. They were setting up the temple and selling things to benefit themselves, way hiking up the prices of sacrifices in order to to fill their pockets. Problems. And so if you're not a man of financial integrity or a woman of financial integrity, if you're not a person, of financial, this is important, contentment. It's not just integrity. Financial contentment. This could be a significant stumbling block for you. Paul says we got to have the office of deacon be filled with dignified individuals that aren't double-tongued, that aren't addicted to much wine, that aren't greedy for dishonest gain. And then this. Here's the spiritual character piece. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, okay? You gotta be dialed in on the mystery of the faith. What is the mystery of the faith? The mystery of the faith is the objective body of Christian truth that we believe now found in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So that body of truth that we have in the New Testament, we are responsible to take in and we are responsible to apply to our lives. So we are a people who know God is holy, We are a people that know God is majestic in his holiness. We are a people who understand that we are sinners made by a holy God, have rebelled against this God, and are as such children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says, that we are dead in our transgressions. So we're alive physically, but we're spiritually dead. And we don't earn our way into God's good graces. In fact, we found ourselves in a terrible predicament in which there was no hope in and of ourselves to make ourselves right with God again. And so Jesus Christ came, God in human flesh. The mystery is that something that was once concealed in the Old Testament is now revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He perfectly obeyed for you the law of God. He personally sacrificed himself for you to pay the penalty for your sin by dying on a cross, and three days later, he rose from sin and death, conquering all of our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, death, wrath, hell, All of that so that anyone who Believes on the Lord Jesus Christ Which is a repentant belief it's a Turning from your old way and going After the free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ will have their sins forgiven Will be grafted into the Family and body of Christ will be Assured of eternal life and will Be a people who aren't just Waiting for eternity to flesh Out what it looks to have a kingdom life But by God's grace and the power of The Holy Spirit through the finished work of Jesus Christ walk in that on a daily basis. So when he says, listen, you are to hold the mystery of the faith, that is convictionally hold it, but the key is with a clear conscience, which means this, your beliefs translate into behavior. It's not perfect, but it's clear, and it's obvious, and it's ongoing, and you can see a pattern in your life that says, what I believe flushes out in how I live. Right, because apart from that, you have a hypocrisy in your life. And he's calling, calling everybody to hear that the people that should be in this office need to be those who hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Well, we all know people can talk a big game, right? We all know anyone, like I said last week, can like kind of puff out their spiritual chest, give us a Pharisee kind of flyover, And we're like, well, they seem good. But that's exactly why it doesn't stop there. See, deacons not not only must be uh, proven to have consistent character, but deacons, number two, must be tested. They must be tested, number two. Tested and proven, it says specifically. Verse 10 says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves Blameless. Guys, this is so, so important. Okay, first of all, the also there is implying what? Let them also be tested. Who else is he talking about? The elders. The elders need to also be tested. Now, the deacons are just getting uh, uh, thrown in with the elders. Elders need to be tested. Deacons also need to be tested. And, and, the, and the phrase he's using here, when he says be tested, first of all, this is a passive meaning you can't appoint yourself to the office of deacon. Here I am, church, ready to serve. Have you talked to anyone? The Lord. <laughs> cool. Sit down. Hang out. We'll call you in a couple years as we watch your life. Right? This is someone who needs to be tested. It's also not just a passive reality, but it's an imperative reality. Every deacon needs to be tested. Everyone needs to be assessed. This is not an option. This is a requirement. Every prospective deacon has to be evaluated by others. And the notion of this word is implying that you are likely led by the elders, although not clear, but makes sense, that they are leading in this notion of Proving whether something is worthy to be received or not. That's the idea. So that when a deacon is put forward, there's affirmation and there's confirmation that we stand behind this person. We believe they're worthy to put up in front of the church and to serve in this office. Now, what's interesting here is we don't get any sense for how. Let them be tested. Cool. I want the next verse to be how. Do we see a how here? No, we don't get a clear how. Why? All kinds of questions. How come we don't get a clear how? Can I give you a thought? I'm going to give it to you anyway. I think the reason why is because there's room for different kinds of evaluations because there are different kinds of roles in different kinds of churches, in different kinds of contexts, over different time periods. And I think we have plenty within the text to establish some framework for how we're to assess these individuals, but I don't think he's trying to rigidly say every church needs to go through this process. The church is given freedom to figure out how that process takes place. Is it six months or is it 12 months? Sure. Is it nine months or is it 18 months? Is there an ordination? Do you put them in front of the people or not put them in front of the people? Do they have to come along with the elders? What's the process? We don't know. What we do know is there's clear principles in the book of 1 Timothy. We know from later in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we shouldn't appoint them too hastily. Verse 22. We know that it should involve the church. seems to be wise as this is written to the church and their responsibility to uphold this order and design. We see in verse 10, probably the best thing we have going is we need to make the standard of the testing, there being above reproach, because that's the language here. Notice he says, and let them be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So what is the level? What is the standard? It literally means above reproach again, just like with the elders, So whatever your process is, here's what you have to establish. Are they above reproach? And we talked about last week being above reproach is to be free from an unjustifiable accusation about some sort of pattern of sin in someone's life. Right? So however you assess that, forever long you need to, we ought not throw judgment on a church that does it for 12 months versus 16 months. We ought to instead constantly work on a process by which we can... See these realities play out. We can see the gospel and its effects in people's lives. We can see a display of sacrificial service. We can see them being filled with the Spirit and full of wisdom. They've had opportunities to flesh that out, and now we're saying, Here, we feel good about this. They got to be tested. How is, I think, up to every individual church with Bibles in hand to figure out. Now we get to verse 11. And here's where it gets interesting, because however you slice it from verse 11 to verse 13, there is an interruption, period. There is a bumpy bum 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 It's not like um, the elder qualifications where it was a smooth outline, right? I just felt like, man, look at this. This is, this is easy, Lord. Thank you. It's so clear. Verse 11 gets, like I said, it's bumpy no matter how you take this verse. I'm going to tell you how I take this verse and how I see this section, and then I'm going to let it play out. I think verse 11 is speaking specifically to particular qualifications Paul wants deaconesses to be mindful of and assessed for. And I think he has certain qualifications in particular for male deacons, that need to be isolated and focused on in verse 12. And then I think he comes back in verse 13 to say, don't forget the reward of being a deacon. Okay? So that's how it breaks down. So we have, what does a deacon need to be? It needs to be someone with consistent character who's been proven and tested. Now, deaconesses, let's weigh in here. Male deacons, we'll get to you, and then we'll celebrate the fact that there's a great reward in this, okay? So here's my third point. Female deacons must have corresponding character. Like, it fits perfectly, No surprise here at all. How many of you, this is the one verse you wanted me to interpret this week? (laughs) Sweet, nobody. Okay, great. Their wives, likewise. Stop. I love the ESV, but that is highly interpretive. There is no their possessive pronoun in the Greek. And the word wives is actually just the Greek word for women. It could be wives. It depends on the context. But it doesn't have there. It has women likewise. You'll see why that's important in a second. There are three ways to see how this plays out, guys. I'm going to give you those three positions. The first one is women who are deacons. Okay? It's the first way to see verse 11. The second way to see verse 11 is women who assist deacons. And the third way to see verse 11 is wives who assist their deacon husbands. How are we doing? No heads exploding yet. Okay. I will say this. I come down strong on certain positions. I will say admittedly this is a tricky verse. And I think we ought to have grace in not coming down overly dogmatic on an interpretation like this particular one. Hear me? Great. My take is that according to good exegesis, number one and number three are the best positions. Either this is talking about women who are deacons or wives who assist their deacon husbands. I think one and three are the best interpretations of this. And I will tell you that I lean, lean, one. I lean that they're talking about women who are deacons or deaconesses. And I'm going to give you some arguments for that. Uh, Not because I'm overly dogmatic about it, but just want you to be informed as to where we stand as a church. I think that's important. And um, I will say that the arguments I'm going to use come straight out of the exegesis here and not out of a bunch of other texts, although there's bigger and more arguments to be made. Okay, does that make sense? So let's jump in here. I'm going to give you five arguments. And if you're like, man, this is a lot to write down, that's why we record these, guys. Go back and listen to this later. I got a pump. All right? You're just coming. We're going to do this, all right? And then you'll just have it for later. Argument number one, the translation of wives like in the ESV. Okay, if their possessive there was there, I'd be like, dang, that's a good case for wives. Okay? Um, I have one possessive woman. You know what I'm talking about? My woman. Who, who's my woman? Aaron is. Okay? So when I would say, my woman, we know what we're talking about. We don't have harem around here, all right? Where well, you're like, I'm not sure. Who do you mean? That's a plug and play. Six, seven people I could say right now. I think everyone's pretty clear. When I say my woman, I mean my wife, okay? It doesn't say they women here. If it did, I think you'd have a really strong case for the wives of deacons, but it's not, so take at face value that the best way to translate that verse without any indicators in the text surrounding it, that it should just be translated women, first of all, not wives. Argument number two. If wives is intended, I find it interesting that there's no mention of qualification for elders' wives. That would seem very odd. Because if there's no qualification for elders' wives, then deacons have a higher standard to meet than elders'. But if this isn't wives, but rather women deacons, then we have a perfectly understandable explanation for why the wives of elders aren't mentioned. The wives of elders aren't mentioned because neither are the wives of deacons. Argument number three, the word likewise. Women likewise recognizes the reality that there's a group of women who do serve in the church. You can't get around that. They're identifying this group. Now some will say, wait, 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 before you go too far, why not use a female form of of the word deacon like deaconess? Listen, here's why it's not used here. Because there's no special term for deaconess. And I'm going to explain why. Because the word diakonos is one of these very unique words. There's only a few nouns like this in the Greek that though masculine can also be feminine. So what he's having to do here in order to create a distinction for his readers is to use women in order to be clear regarding this special aspect of the group. You wouldn't be able to see it just by the word deacons, and it can infer males or females. Argument number four, people will say, well, this is a position of authority, and therefore it is disqualified by 1 Timothy 2. Listen, we don't want to over-interpret 1 Timothy 2. This is not an office that is higher than the office of elder. This is an office that is subordinate to and working under and with the elders. The elders have the authority and responsibility to teach and to exercise authority over man. This deacon role is not that responsibility, and so I don't believe that argument holds up or is even faithful to a tight view of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And while I hopefully still have you, I'm down to argument number five, which is that character qualities here are also mandated for elders, you'll find, and for male deacons, which would make sense if an official capacity was intended here. Just as deacons are to be worthy of respect, you'll find that so too are deaconesses. Just as elders are to be self-controlled, sober-minded, so too are female deacons. And it makes sense since women can be deacons. And they're, I think, specifically the ones that are addressed here. There's more to be said, but I hope that gives a sense for what's going on in this text. Now, it does assuming we're at deaconesses, gives some unique character qualifications. And here's the way I see it in the text breaking down. Women who might serve in this role have different proclivities to temptations than men who serve in this role. That's not hard to understand, right? That women are more tempted and inclined towards proclivities to sin in the emotional or verbal side. And I won't have all God's men say, amen. (laughs) Smarter than that after all these years. (laughs) And the men, no surprise, would have a struggle more on the sexual side. More on the responsibility side. Men have been avoiding taking responsibility and being leaders since the fall. Really, we saw Adam do it before the fall, which led to the fall. So, how does this break down? Let's talk about the female side first. If women's temptation is more on the emotional verbal side, we're not surprised to see what we see. There, women, it's not even there, just women likewise must be dignified. Same thing as with the deacon role. So, just repeating that, almost connecting it together. They got to be worthy of respect. Now, here's what he puts in here not slanderers. You know what that means? No she devils. It's like, you're like, is that a joke? Because that wasn't funny. And um, it literally says you can't be devils, ladies. It, It means something, but that's what it's implying in the text. It literally is the same word for devil. It means slanderous. It means someone who's a malicious gossip. Listen, gossip destroys churches, and it's present all over the place in churches. It's present in small groups when someone's like, hey, I'm a deacon, I just wanted to you know, did you know so-and-so's financial situation is in the pits right now? I mean, I just got out of a meeting, and I feel so bad for them, so let's pray for them afterwards. But So anyway, like I was saying, <laughs> right? that person who's like, oh, I get to be a deacon, and I get to know all the dirt on where people's financial situations are that need help, did you know? And plus, in our context, it's like, no one actually reaches out for help because we're all so... There's a lot of pride there if any of our situations financially would ever flip upside down, correct? And there's a lot of gossip that you could have in there. There's a lot of conversations. Would you be praying for someone? Here's Their, their life is a wreck financially. I mean, where do I begin? I should probably give you all the details so you would know exactly how to pray. Boo! Bleah! Fight that temptation, right? This person can't have that going on. It's an interesting thing just to throw out there to everyone or it seems like it's actually very pointed and specific to those who would serve as deaconesses. Here's the next one. Sober-minded. You think this works for deaconesses? Stable in their thinking. Balanced judgment. Not prone to emotionalism. There's a sober mental and emotional approach to things. Self-restrained. And then it says faithful in all things, which is kind of like a catch-all to say, faithful in all life roles. So if you're a wife, you're faithful in that. If you're a mother, you're faithful in that. If you're a daughter, you're faithful in that. You're just faithful. Why can we bring you onto this office? Because you're faithful, because you're reliable, because we can trust you. Right, ladies, that's... Those who serve in this role as deaconesses need to have those things in mind. But then we switch to the males, and we find this. Here, here's the kind of, if the temptation is to emotional verbal realities with women, it's husbands are more on the sexual family management side, so male deacons, number four, must be family managers, faithful family managers. I almost alliterated the snot at that point. I just decided not to, but I left faithful and family I was going, managers, ah, let's just keep it. That way I don't confuse the guys. It's pretty for alliteration, but it's like, I need guys just to know, go home and be a faithful family manager, right? So, yes. So, let deacons, now speaking back to, and I think we're gonna see the context is a very male-oriented reality in verse 12. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, and their own households well. You hear that, men? One, two, three. Wife, kids, house. Yours to be uh, evaluated. So with your wife, same term we saw with the elders, you are to be the husband of one wife. And remember what we talked about last week? This isn't saying deacons must be married, or that they must be married only once. It's not talking about how many times you've been married or not married or if you're married. Instead, it's speaking to the quality of your marriage and it's assuming you have a biblical one. Okay, you gotta have a biblical marriage. That's assumed. But you gotta have a marriage that you are, it is clear you are a one woman man. You have eyes for no one else. You have affections for no one else. You are invested in that relationship both relationally and sexually. It is strong It is an uncompromised marital covenantal partnership. You are faithful and true to one woman. Same things like I said last week. Inappropriate relationships, out. Porn, definitely a problem. It's going to call that stuff into question. You love your wife, you serve your wife, you care for your wife and then it's kids. It needs to be well managed with your kids. Okay. Now dads, I know this. No kids are perfectly well-managed, okay? So, so what is this talking about? Well, it, it can't be the perfection of your life as a dad, but it certainly has to be the direction of, of your life as a dad that you are a shepherd of your kids, I think when it talks about management, it's obviously talking about you taking care of your kids, you providing for them. I think that's built into the household reality, but we're talking about more specifically, you are a shepherd of your kids. They need to be disciplined. I'm gonna say it again. They need to be disciplined redemptively with gospel purposes in mind and anger set aside, period. In the right window, in the right ways, for the right offenses, they need to be disciplined. They need to be directed intentionally towards a Christian worldview, And as they get older, you need to help your little guys and your young ladies become godly women and godly men. One of the things I loved about Bodie Bauckham that sticks in my head that I'm for sure going to do is he said, when my kids hit 13, my boys were mine. And that transition came out where mama's responsible at the beginning, 13 though, they're dead meat on my territory. And I spend the next few years helping train them up to be the type of godly men that they should be you are invested in your home men. You provide, you take care of, it's not just your wife, it's not just your kids, it's your household. There is hard work involved. There is preparation for the future involved. There is so much riding on this because if you can't manage your own household well, we know this. You can't manage, tell me. God's church. He's given you a little c-church. Church. For those who are blessed to have these families to flesh this out, and again, it's not requiring you have a family. It's saying most guys do that are older and within the bounds of this person that could serve in the office of deacon. So you better be doing that with clarity, taking care of, owning the responsibility of, seeing yourself as a pastor of your home. And then taking care of it in all the ways that would reflect good stewardship. For no one poorly stewarding their own house should be stewarding God's. And then he finishes. And he says something so interesting here. He says, deacons must be mindful of the reward. What an interesting thing. He didn't say that really about elders. Elders. I think it corresponds to verse one of chapter three when he said, if elders aspire to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That's a noble work, man. That is a noble work. But he goes, don't, don't, don't underplay the, the deacons either. I, I think what he's trying to get at is, the office of elders, probably the one that's like intriguing, right? Because it's top, top dogs could be seen that way, right? It's the highest office. That's the one I want. And then it's perceived that there's this massive drop off between the elders and the deacons and Paul's saying not so. Not so. You, you, you want me to prove it to you? Have you seen all the qualifications? How much different are they than elders? The one difference between elders and deacons is they're not required to have an ability to teach. But that makes sense because we already said one of the responsibilities on the pastoral side is that they teach. The elders teach. The deacons it's not part of their responsibility. But he's not coming off the edge that much more. He's saying, you have character qualifications that are similar, and then he wants them to know, don't look down on these guys as they're some sort of just like menial laborers. No, this, these are people of the highest character who are responsible for the ministry of God's mercy and practical ways to the church. And so he reminds them, listen, if you aspire, if you're after this role and you serve in it, what does he say? For those who serve well, there is double gain in this role. He says you'll gain a good standing and great confidence that is in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. When he says good standing there, he's saying this is an honorable office for which you will have an honorable standing in the church, okay? In other words, you will be respected You don't do it for that. Any good deacon doesn't do it to be respected by others, but any deacon in a role, deaconing in the right way with the deacon qualifications, honorable. And you deserve that honor in the church and you should have it in the church and if you serve well in it, you will have it in the church. And then he says it's also though this confidence, this great confidence that is in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, the word here means firm confidence or boldness or openness. I think what Paul's after is this kind of boldness idea. That there's a sense to our faith that's objective. Here is the faith once for all delivered to the saints that we have in the New Testament. That is the faith, right? That body of doctrine. But then each of us possesses like an experiential faith, correct? You do! You do! Okay, you do. And with that faith, if you're training it, it will grow. If you're neglecting it, it will shrink. It does not stay static. Hear me. You walking through, just going through the motions in your Christian faith, and you are declining. Trust me on that one. He's saying, I love the way Oz Guinness said this. He says it so well. He says, listen, faith must keep itself fit. He said, faith either trains or it grows slack, end quote. When you serve as a deacon, your deacon work is like faith fitness. And what it does is your hard work ends up working for you. Why? Because it confirms and establishes and assures you in your faith that is in Christ Jesus. Like I've sensed this as an elder. It doesn't even say it about elders, but there is such a beauty. There's a weightiness to being an elder. Don't get me wrong. But there is a blessing to being an elder because I am unequivocally sure of who i am in jesus christ i am confident that the fact that i belong to him and he to me the fact that as i walk in that newness of life with that maturity and with that character i'm reminded it's not me it's not you it's jesus in you by the spirit And when you commit with discipline in your life and you see it play out, you don't look back and go, I'm awesome. You look back and go, he's got me. You have this opportunity to serve in one of these capacities to pursue these realities. Not everyone should do it, but everyone should be in pursuit of them. And when you're walking in these ways, they give you confidence in your heart. This is supernatural. People just expect it, and that's what it should be. You should have character coming out of you in this role before you even get up in the morning. But that is crazy what we expect of the people in these offices. You don't even bat an eye to think about what's going on in the people's lives, and yet it should be there, non-negotiable. That is the work of God by His Spirit in the heart of a person. And so they get that confidence that they can walk in that. That is awesome, awesome. It hems you in. You don't take plays off. You can't. And you're like, some of you don't even want that responsibility, but others go, wait a minute, there's a blessing in that. I see the world differently. That's what he's saying. You see it differently. So as we think about this role, we think about the, the importance of it, we think about the fact that it is indispensable that this role serves to advance the gospel. If you don't have good deacons, your elders start to sneak into that lane and they give up the role and responsibility they're supposed to have. When they work together, Christ's church is gonna be served in the word and served in deed. That's how it's gonna work. By God's grace, be praying that we're that church. Be praying that you're looking for that kind of church. Two clear, distinctive offices. Why do we have two offices? Because the Bible says we should. Why do you go to a church? Because they have biblical leadership. It matters, guys. Jesus Christ is the example. Let us not forget. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let many fall in his footsteps under this office. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege and blessing of getting to be your people. And we ask that you would take these truths and drive it deep into our hearts and do the work that only you can do in the lives of those who are here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.